I want to uh, let you know what I've learned a little bit about kids and then what I've learned about adults because they, they tie in together for what I'm going to, to share. And the first thing is that kids everywhere, all the time, doesn't matter what walk of life they're in, kids are going to make their own choices, right? Any parents agree kids will make their own choices? Hopefully, they make good choices. We try to train them, we try to help them, but ultimately, they're going to decide. You know, when they come out of the womb, they're about this big, and they're sweet, and they're cute, and they smell that new baby smell, and they can do no wrong because they can't do anything. But as they get older, they start to realize, I don't like peas. You know, I'm, I'm not going to eat those. I don't like, yes, this is all coming back to me, okay? Um, I don't, I don't want to clean my room. I don't want to sit in the, the, the stroller happily as I walk through the store without grabbing everything off the, off the shelves, right? Because they want to make their own choices. And it doesn't matter. The older you get, uh, the worse it gets with the choices that they might possibly make. And it's, uh, but, you know, as a parent, at least me, since I can look at this from the kid point of view and also the parent point of view, is that I don't want to make my kids' decisions their whole life. I want to be able to influence them, but I don't want to be responsible for every decision that they make. Now, uh, my kids have made their own decisions like everybody else, and uh, one of the things that we're working through with Noah right now is he would like to buy an iPod. Anybody know what that is? I don't. It's about four letters long. It does something with music, and he wants it. Well, mom and dad are saying, Noah, these, it costs X amount of dollars, and your income is like this. I mean, you don't, you don't have a job here, you know? You, you don't really have all this potential to make all this money because you, just where you're located, you're, you're not 16, you can't drive, and we're trying to say, hey, you're going to want to buy this car. But ultimately, who's going to make the decision on how he spends his money? Noah's going to. And when he gets out, he's going to make a decision on what car he drives, the girl he's going to marry, where he's going to live, and what his professions are, and God bless him and God help him as he does that. But kids, number one, are going to make their own decisions. Lesson number two that I've learned uh, since working with kids and, uh, and seeing adults is how willing parents are to accept their kids back. After they make these rash and wild decisions, sometimes parents are willing uh, are, to accept their kids back and, and say, okay, well, let's pick up the pieces. I'm still going to accept you. Even if it hurts the family name, I've seen parents who time and time again are willing to accept their kids back because they love their kids. And not that I always agree with every instance that is, uh, but I, for the most part, I understand that now. As a kid, I would watch youth group kids, fellow kids who would screw up, or I'd watch my siblings make bad choices, and I didn't understand how can my parents do that? How could these parents accept their kids back after they have done X, Y, and Z? But because of a parent's love, they're able to do that. And as an adult now, as a parent, I recognize and I understand a little bit better a parent's love. And today we're going to be looking at the prodigal son, or a parable that's known as the prodigal son. Uh, more recently, it's been known as the parable of the loving father. You know, Dr. David Jeremiah and other uh, really well-known speakers out there have titled it that, and we could definitely leave it there. And I'm, my, my little title, Go Home, is not trying to outdo them. My, my focus is uh, a, a little bit different, and I call it Go Home for a couple different reasons. Because we all understand that sometimes we need to go home. This, this, this boy, has, as, if you're familiar with the prodigal son, he took everything his dad would give him. He went and squandered everything that he had, but he had the ability to go home. He just had to make that choice that he was willing to do that. 
But do you also have the bigger brother who's, made, who's done everything right and says, that's not fair. I don't want that. And we're going to look and see that, you know what? Sometimes we might be acting like the big, big brother. We've got to say it's okay for them to come home. And the third part is, is probably more the focus of this, and we're not even going to talk about it that much, is that sometimes we act like the prodigal son, right? Anybody here ever said, I went wayward? I, I can say that. I can think of points in my life where I, I love the Lord, but I'm like, okay, I'm tired of following the Lord, and I just make bad decision after bad decision. And if you find yourself in that decision where I don't want to walk with the Lord, I don't want to read my Bible, I don't want to be around anything that has to do with God, it's okay to come home. It's important to come home because like the, heaven, like the father in the story is waiting for his son to come home, our heavenly father is just waiting for us to come home. So wherever you fit into this, consider the idea of going home is a good thing. Okay? It might be tough to walk through the door, but when you get home and you get welcomed by your father, it's a good thing. So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. We're going to look at just like a verse at a time and discuss it, and then come up at the end with some extra lessons that we can learn from this. So, there is a father who had two sons. Let me read verse, yeah, pretty good-looking sons, too, don't you know? Um, Verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. This guy has two sons. And obviously, you know, how many people here have gotten an estate from somebody who's living? Mostly that happens when you die, right? If I'm going to ever get something from my dad, it's going to be after the fact, after he has passed away. And this younger son says, Dad, you know what? I don't really care about you. I just want what you're going to give me. I know you're going to die, but I cannot wait that long. Please, just hurry up. Give me what I, what I deserve or what I've earned or, or what you're going to give me because I'm your son. And I'm out of here. How insulting that is to your dad, right? How insulting that is to a mother. Anybody here say, I want to give my son something? I want to open the front door and give him my boot, right? You can have that. If you want to go, I hope, it, I hope you're happy. Good luck making it work. Uh, this, the son who is going to collect something from his dad, he was going to get about a third of what his dad had because the dad had two sons. And according to the Old Testament law, the older son got a double portion. So if you know your math and you have three parts, a double portion is two, is what the older son's going to get. The younger son is going to get a third. And he says, okay, I'll take whatever I can get, and I'm ready to go. And so I think as quickly as he could, he went and sold off everything that he had. Okay, he went and sold off everything that he had, verse 13 says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered all his wealth in wild living. He took everything of value that he had. He rummaged through his clothes and said, I don't like these clothes anymore. There's this, this trophy is nice, but it's not going to bring any money. I got a little money saved up in my piggy bank, and I'm out of here. These are sentimental, but they're not going to bring any money. I don't want these anymore. Now, I want to I uh, stop and just ponder here a little bit. How, what do you think the dad's doing during this time? Because he's writing out this check, or he's saying, here's all this money. Do you think he's happy when he does this? Here, here's a third of what you get. No, he's not happy. It doesn't say it, but I bet this dad is pleading with his son, please don't do this. This is not what, what, what you're going to make a bad choice. This isn't what I intended for you to do. This is not how life is supposed to work. 
this is a bad decision. But the dad says, I'm going to let you make your own choice. I'm going to let you make your own decision. So this guy gets everything that he has going, yeah, yeah, dad, whatever, thank you, goodbye. And he runs out the door to a distant country. Because if you go to a distant country, who knows you? You know, when I moved to Montana, who here knew me before I got here? Nobody. I didn't know a single soul in Montana. I can look and be completely different from the way I ever was, and none of you would know the difference. Okay, so this guy says, you know what? I'm, wearing, I'm, I'm in a new country. I've got to show something different about myself. I don't like my old clothes, and so I'm going to get a new set of threads, right? I'm going to get a whole new set of wardrobe, and so people don't know me or where I come from. I'm going to fit into the culture. He says, you know what? It was a long walk to get here. I'm buying a camel. Okay, I'm going to ride around in style. I'm going to get my new set of wheels because I would rather travel on something than by foot. And, you know, of course, when he does that, he's, he's going to start to become noticed, and he goes to the local watering hole, and he starts buying drinks all around. Well, guess what you get when you do that? Lots of friends, right? Everybody's your friend all of a sudden. And so he starts having all these wild parties with all these wild women and all these wild experiences, and he tries to enjoy every possible form of entertainment that he can. He's living the dream. He's happy as he can be. Life does not get any better than this. Why didn't I do this sooner, right? I, this is what life is, has been, uh, what, is, what life is all about. I'm just, this is what, I've, what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. Life goes on really well for a while. He's, he's spending money. He's got all the friends in the world, but then things start turning for the worst, verses 14 through 16. It says, after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that field who sent him out to his fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Boy, doesn't that look good, right? Boy, I'd sure like to just start munching on what those pigs are eating. I mean, with this picture, you could maybe get away with, like, the watermelon, but they didn't have watermelon back then. That's the only picture I can find, but that's a yucky thing. Right? He's, he's, he's enjoyed all that life had to offer, and then all of a sudden there's a famine that's coming on, and he has nothing left. If he would have saved his money, he might have been able to weather the storm. And so he has to start selling off everything that he has. So he ends up pretty much in the same kind of clothing that he was wearing. He starts trying to beg and borrow from his friends, all the people that he gave everything to. All of a sudden don't know who this guy is. I didn't remember you lending me five bucks. I don't remember you giving me anything. I don't even remember who you are. And so he's finding himself at the bottom of the barrel. And he finds himself willing to do any kind of work. Because who here wants to just go out and sit and watch pigs eat their food? Right? Obviously, that's not uh, the kind of job that anybody would uh, be trying to get. But it sounds at first like it's a really honest job. This guy is willing to, you know, he's not out there begging at this point. He's like, okay. I'll take any kind of work that I can get. But when you look at that, you see something wrong. You see two different things wrong. First is that he is with the pigs. Now, to us, we say pork chop and bacon, right? I mean, I had some pork chops the other night, and I'm like, boy, this is good. Bacon uh, on uh, Wednesday night, I remember coming to Awana smelling like bacon, right? But for the Jewish people, they were not supposed to eat bacon. They were not supposed to be around bacon. And so you find this guy who is still going the wrong direction. He should be running home. He should have, when he was broke, should have said, okay, I've hit the bottom. 
but you got out of shovel and started digging deeper. I want to get deeper. I want to get farther away. I'm will, not willing to repent. I'm not willing to turn and go back to the Lord or to my Father. I'm going to keep trying to make this work. So he's going deeper. Now, so that's the first strike against, against him. The second one is that Jewish people didn't have pigs like I just told you. So who has the pigs? A Gentile. For the Jewish people, uh, working for a Gentile was not a good thing. They, they didn't care what happened to the Gentile. I know I've said this uh, uh, three or four times. The Gentiles were the fuel for the fires of hell. So this guy is saying, I'm going to help you raise this animal I'm not supposed to even be around. I'm going to work for people that are kind of like our enemy. So this guy has dug himself deep, and he finds himself just sitting there looking at all this food, thinking, boy, I'd sure like to have some of that. And it says in verse uh, 20, let's see, verse 17, he finally came to his senses. I'll read a little bit of that. Um, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I know what I'll do. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went out to his father. So while he's sitting there, staring at the food, thinking, boy, if I look at that cross-eyed, that apple that that pig has already munched on looks like it has a little bit of meat on it. I think I could eat that. I think I could wipe the dirt off of that, and I think I could swallow that. And, and it, he's, he's he, he, obviously, he's, he's at the bottom. He's, done about as, he's gone about as, a wayward as he can get from his father, from where he should be. But he, he starts to think, you know what? I know what I could do while he's sitting there. He says, I know I could go back home. But not as my, my father's son. I know that's not going to work. I know what I could do is my, my dad has servants. I can go home and be a servant. And you know what I'm going to tell my dad is that this isn't going to require any kind of on-the-job training because I already know what to do. I already know the, the servants. I already know how to schedule. I'm going to go back and I'm going to say, I'm not worthy to be called your son, but I can be your servant. And I know that you pay well and I know that they eat well, so can I just come back and can I do that? And so while he gets all this this gumption up, he says, okay, I'm going to go, and I'm going to go talk to my father, and this is what I'm going to explain to him. And when he gets there, he's, he doesn't find things exactly as he thinks that they're, they're going to be. It says, uh, verse 20 says, but while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion. He th- his arm, he, a re- he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his, on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. He went back to his father uh, you know, he was afraid, I'm sure. His pride was slowing him down. His fear of, of how would my father respond to this? I mean, I, I'm just kind of curious, dads out there, how would you respond to this? If your son, who you raised, who you love, just pretty much spit in your face said, I don't care about you, all I want is your possessions, he went and squandered it off, and then he came back. How many people are going to be running after the son to welcome them and give them a hug? I sure hope I never have to experience anything like that. You know, I've, I've had to pick up the pieces for a few decisions that my kids have made. Nothing that was major. And it's like, okay, we can make this work. It wasn't really a slap in my face. It was his choice. He got to make his own decision. 
Something traumatic like that might be difficult for a parent to do, but this is how this guy responds. And this kid is totally not expecting this. I think as he's walking home, he starts to see dust running towards him. And as he sees his dad, he doesn't know what to do, and his dad all of a sudden just grabs him in a bear hug and gives him a hug and kisses him. And is, and is so excited, and all the son can say is, Dad, I can't breathe. Uh, uh, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Um, can I be your servant as well? And the dad it doesn't even think anything like that. He just starts yelling to his servants, Hey, guys, get the ring. Get, get, a, get a robe. Get sandals for this guy. And the, the servants are standing there with their jaws dropped wide open thinking, I don't believe this guy had the guts to come back. And I cannot believe my master is treating him this way. When he, when he got... Uh, when he, when, he, when he put that ring on his finger, he's showing that this, I'm accepting him as my son. Because you don't put a, a ring on a servant or a slave. But he says, this is a sign of son, sonship. Put this ring on his finger. When he put this robe on him, this was like a robe for a guest of honor. You have this son who's walked away, wants nothing to do with you. He comes back and he's treated like a guest of honor. And when he puts sandals on his feet, he's saying, this is not, he's not being accepted back as a slave. He's being accepted back as my son. Then he says, oh, by the way, guys, you know that fatted calf that we've been filling up for the last umpteen months? Today's the day. We're going to celebrate. And I don't know, uh, their, their culture, they didn't have fatted calves, I don't think, running around all the time. They, they didn't eat meat uh, as much as you probably would think based off of their culture. I, I might, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, you know, I bet the day that calf started getting filled up was the day that son left. Because that whole time that dad started praying and said, I hope my son comes back. And he was expecting him to come back. Because while he's, he's out there, he's looking for my son to come back. He didn't, when his son came back, he didn't say, yeah, welcome back, and I'm going to keep doing my paperwork. He was out there night after night. I bet as he's plowing the field, he's always looking for his son. When he's talking to his servants, when he's talking to the neighbors, he's always looking to see if his son was coming, was coming back. And so I think that, that calf started getting fattened up, and he says, today's the day because my son has finally come home. Not the expect, response that he expected, not something that typically is going to happen. Not everybody was happy about this. Okay, you got the older boy who, was, who has done everything right. He's not exactly thrilled about what is taking place. Verses 25 to 30. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of his servants and asked him, Hey, buddy, what's going on? He said, You won't believe it, your brother's home. And your father just killed that fatted calf. You know that one we've been working on for the last eight months? He said, Today's the day we're going to slaughter it. Be, uh, because your, uh, your, your brother's back, safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, and you probably could hear this too, look, all these years I've, just, I've obeyed your orders, and I've, ne I've never disobeyed your orders, and yet you didn't even give me a young little goat. You gave this guy a great big calf after he's treated you this way and after he's wandered away. I didn't even get a little uh, a goat to celebrate with my friends. But the son who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. And I can only imagine what happened the day that kid left. The, the older brother says, okay, I'm going to take this extra weight. I'm going to put it on my shoulder, and I'm going to carry this through. I'm not going to let my dad down. 
My dad's hurting right now. I'm going to make up for my younger brother. I'm going to do twice the amount of work. And so the whole time this younger brother is off drinking with his friends and partying and, and living life up to the, to the fullest, this older brother is saying, I'm wiping the sweat off my brow. I'm working harder. I'm tired. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to make up for what he has done. I'm going to make it as if the son has never lost because I love my dad that much. I don't want him to suffer that way. Put yourself in the older brother's shoes. You know, if, if, if my brother, who made this silly little birthday video for me, if he was to do this kind of thing to my parents and he came back, you better believe if I can get to him first, I'm going to. I mean, I, and I'm going to let him have it. If, if you treated mom and dad that way and, and you created more work for me, you broke dad's heart. You didn't care. You took a part of whatever he had. If he, how could you do that? I'm going to lay into him, and this is what this older brother would have done. This would have been a totally different story had that brother got there first, but it was the father who got there first because he was the one who was watching and waiting. The older brother's like, good riddance. Get out of here. You showed your true colors. I don't really care about you. Get out of here. So he was mad when his brother came back. He was the one who was hardworking, the one who was moral, the one who kept all the rules and all the regulations during this whole time. You know, it shows a, a picture of the father's love because his father has, it's, I mean, it's also, you know, the parable of the, the father's love because he has this love, this amazing love for this, this prodigal son who took everything and he walked away. But he's also got the same amount of love for this son who has done everything right but with the wrong motives. He looks good on the outside. And when you look back to what we kind of talked about last week, uh, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the tax collectors and sinners in 15 verses 1 through 2. It says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man uh, welcomes sinners and he eats with them. You have the self-righteous Pharisees. They, they're, the, they're that older brother who think we're good on our own. We look good. Uh, we do everything right on the outside. But on the inside, Jesus would call them whitewashed tombs. They're full of dead man's bones. But on the other side, you have this brother that's the tax collectors and sinners who are obviously bad, like that prodigal son who comes back and Jesus accepts them. The father accepts the son. And so you have this, Jesus is trying to persuade these guys, look, what is better, to be self-righteous and, and go to hell or to, be righteous, or to be a sinner, obviously, in need of a savior and repent and come to the father for forgiveness? And we all really fit in that same kind of position. We are all in that position of being the prodigal son, whether we've done something minor in life, or whether we've done the most major sin, whether we were the one who, like me, I mean, I, if, it, if in this story, I would be the, uh, not the prodigal son in this story. I would be the self-righteous one. The only thing I ever did that I can think of that really went against what my parents' wishes was I played basketball for one year. My mom didn't like that. I... Uh, I bought a car, a brand new Saturn. She did not want me to buy a red one because that's the kind that the police like. Guess what I bought? A red one. And the other thing that she didn't like that I did was move to Montana because it's a long ways away. Those really are not really that bad of things. But you know what's inside here is things that people do not see. And if I'm relying on my righteousness because the world says, wow, Josh is a good guy, I fooled everybody but God. James 2.10, it says, if you break one law, you have broken everything. So I'm guilty of murder. I'm guilty of adultery. I'm a guilty of death, uh, 
theft of any kind of possible thing, even though I might look good on the outside, I'm guilty of everything. Because that because it's not what's on the outside that matters, it's what's on the inside, and that's the part that only God sees. So this is a parable. This has uh, the prodigal son, who represents the tax collectors and sinners, the, the people who obviously do everything wrong, and they don't care. And these are the kind of the people that I like because they're not trying to hide it. They're just open out there, yep, I'm living a life of sin, and I'm enjoying it. And, uh, but they're not being hypocritical. They're just doing what they want to do. But then you have the good brother, the self-righteous one. And we can be in this too. Even if we're saved, we can act like the, the self-righteous one because we can say, I forgot how much I've really been forgiven, right? Because all the things that the world says, well, that's really not so bad that you did. It really is bad. And, and it really comparing myself to other people, I'm going to look good. But the Bible says if you compare yourself to other people, that's, that's like the dumbest thing that you can do. You, you don't compare yourself to others. You compare yourself to the standard of Jesus, and you, fall, you realize how, how short you fall. And the Father represents God, who loves us. doesn't matter who we are. He's waiting for us, and he's willing to forgive us. But he's not going to force you to come. Okay? He didn't force his son to come. He's always watching and waiting, but he let him go, and he let him make his own decision. So I want to. So we. That's the parable of the the good. Uh, the parable of the father's love. That's the parable of the prodigal son. I just want to touch on a few other uh, lessons that we can learn from this parable as well. The first, and these are things that you're going to recognize. Uh, the first is that God lets people make their own choices. Parents, you want to. You let your kids make their own choices, right? You just have to. It's a part of life. This father let his son make his own choice. It was a bad choice, but he let him make it. And God's going to let us. If I wanted to walk out the door and say, I want nothing to do with church, I want nothing to do with God, he's going to let me go. I'm I'm going to go live whatever life of sin. He might might, uh, work out situations in my life to bring me back, but he's going to let me go. I might, uh, you know, God gets people's attention even though he lets them go. It might be a loss of a job, that turns people around. It might be the loss of uh, a family member or a home. It might be some kind of sickness or tragedy, but God's going to let you go, but he's going to try to get you back. But you are not a robot. You, are, you have free will. You get to do kind of whatever you want to do. If you wanted to get up here and start dancing, God's not going to hold you down and say you can't do that. He's going to let you do that. If you want to walk out the door and think, uh, this was the worst thing, decision I ever made. He's going to let you walk out the door and do that. The second thing is that God, our Heavenly Father, is always watching and waiting. As we're running around this world making all our own decisions, good, bad, and otherwise, he's always watching. And he's always waiting for that time for Josh to turn around and say, I'm ready to come home. I'm sorry for what I've done. And he, he's, he's not going to scold me. He's not going to yell at me. He's not going to ground me. He's not going to say, look, Josh, if you do this again, that's enough. I mean, that's, that's it. He's going to welcome me in just like the father did because the father, he didn't scold his son. He didn't yell at him. He didn't say, this is the only chance that you ever get. He says, I, I love you. I'm going to act as if you never did this. And that's how, how God, he's, if we come honestly in repentance, he will forgive us and it will be as if we have never done this. But he's always watching and he's always waiting. Number three, self-righteousness doesn't make us righteous in God's eyes. I can fool all of you. You can fool me. We can fool each other. 
as that we are doing all the right things, but that doesn't make us righteous in God's eyes. This son, and he, he did everything that he was supposed to. Every, every order his dad gave him, he didn't complain. He went out and he took care of it. But then you find out ultimately that what was on the inside? He didn't have love for his brother. He was mad at his dad because of the decisions that um, he was willing to, to, to show love to his, his brother that didn't deserve it. Because he was not clean. He was not right on the inside. He looked good on the outside, but what was on the inside was what really mattered. Self-righteousness makes you righteous in your own eyes, but not anybody else's. Number four is accept others when they come to Jesus. Now, how many people here have, have enemies or have ever had an enemy in your life? Anybody? I know I've had enemies. Now, I want you to picture your worst enemy walking through the doors of this church. How would you feel if you saw your worst enemy walk through the doors of this church? Would you be thinking, what are they doing here? Would you be thinking it's about time? Would you be mad at them? Or would you be excited? What if it made it worse? What if I had an altar call and said, hey, if you realize you need Jesus as your Savior and they came forward, how would you feel? Would you be excited like, praise the Lord that my enemy just got saved? Because that's the way the Father would be. Or would you be like, oh man, that person, I can't believe it. I doubt that's really true. Because if, you, if you're saying I doubt that's really true or I'm upset about that, you are acting just like the, the self-righteous brother because you've forgotten how much you have been forgiven and how much you deserve that forgiveness just like this enemy deserves that forgiveness from the, from the Father as well. Accept them. If somebody comes and they, they're trying to change your life, don't look on them with, with pride like I'm better than that person. You just say, okay, welcome back. I'm glad you're part of the family. I'm glad you came home. Ex celebrate, be happy with them. Because ultimately, that's what the angels in heaven are doing at the same time. And here's the fifth la lesson that we can take from this. And, and maybe, I don't know how, how every, it sits with everybody, but at times, I, I mentioned this at the start, is sometimes we act like the prodigal son. We, we, we've done everything that we right for a very long time. I went to church. I read my Bible. I was involved. And then all of a sudden, I decided, I'm tired of this. It's not worth the hassle. I don't like it. I'm... Or I, I just start getting involved in some other kind of sin. And as soon as I do that, my, my interest in God starts to wane because this is a lot more interesting to me. There's no, this isn't telling me I'm not supposed to do this. As you, as you get farther away from God, the easier it is to get away from God. And sometimes people get to this feeling like, I can't go back because of look at what I've done. You know, Paul, he says, I'm the worst of sinners. And you, 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 that was before he got saved, but he was able to come to God. He was someone who had persecuted Christians, who was willing to put them in prison. There, there are people who have, who have walked away from God for years, and they just feel like they can never come home. But I want to encourage you, if that's you, if you say, you know what, I have walked away from the Lord for the last umpteen years or months or days or, or whatever, I've, I've filled my life with all these different things, it is not too late to come home. Your heavenly Father is watching. Your heavenly Father is waiting, and he will welcome you in. All you got to do is come back home. It, there's, it, you can walk a thousand steps away, but it's only one step back to get you back uh, in, in the right fellowship with God. But you got to be the one who makes that decision. If you feel like that's you, and you feel like, you know what, I've walked away from God, or I need God, or, or anything. If you want to talk to somebody, you know what, I, what I'd really tell you is, I will do my best. The best person to talk to would be my wife. <laughs> She's way better at that kind of stuff. But if you, I would be willing to pray with you or to talk with you.
Because it, it is only one step back. And it doesn't matter what you've done. God is always willing to forgive you and accept you back as a, as a child of his. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your grace. God, I thank you for your forgiveness that I don't deserve. God, I know you have uh, forgiven me so much in my life. And it may not look like it from the outward, uh, but from the inward, God, I know that I've been forgiven a great deal. I pray that, God, uh, if there's anybody here who needs to make things right with you, as you start walking with you again, I pray that they would have the courage to do that, God, because you're so loving and you're so accepting. And God, if anybody here is mad when someone else does that, I pray that you'd help them to remember how much they have been forgiven. And if anybody here, God, needs to put their faith in you, I pray that you would just convict them of that and help them to turn to you for salvation. In Jesus' name.